Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Mobile hunters, are you looking to make the move to saddle hunting this year? Or maybe you just want to add a few new pieces of gear or upgrade your current saddle gear. If that's the case, then head over to tetherednation.com where they've got all mobile hunters covered. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old timer, Tethered is your one-stop saddle shop. From saddles to ropes, sticks, ascenders, whatever it is you need, they have you covered. I've personally been using their gear for the past three seasons. Now my base setup consists of the Phantom Saddle and the Predator Platform. And if you're wondering why, I've chosen to use their gear above all else. Here's the cliff notes. They're innovative and pushing the mobile hunting forward overall. They cut no corners and prioritize the safety and performance of their gear. They care about the community that they've created and their gear allows me to hunt free. And above all else, I like to support good people doing good work. If you're interested in upping your mobile hunting game, then head to tetherednation.com. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee, guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truths from a Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 247. Today, I'm talking with my good buddy, Taylor Chamberlain, also known as the Urban Bowman. So stay tuned. everyone happy wednesday to you hope you are doing well hope you are feeling fine i'm pretty pumped up because this is game week if you will this is the week that i finally get to get into the timber with a bow climb into a tree at this weekend it may or may not be a tree we'll see i've been been watching the weather it looks like it's going to be probably around 80 degrees so not great but uh we'll 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 take it 
and uh, was checking out the wind. You know, things could change between now and then, just trying to figure out where I might go uh, for the opener on Saturday. Really probably looking at more an evening hunt. I don't, you know, as I mentioned previously, don't have real good tabs on uh, any great shooters right now as far as that I would be able to make a move on like I did last year. So I'm probably going to just be uh, doing a little doe patrol here early, um, slip into some areas that I, that I, you know, or aren't of any significant consequence, uh, when it comes to trying to kill, uh, kill bucks potentially. But as things kind of continue to play out, you know, this past weekend, um, I was actually in a new area that I'd been scouting and, uh, did a camera pool uh, that I checked out over the winter and, and hung some cameras over the spring that I've talked about and, uh, did a camera pool this weekend. And, uh, super stoked on what was on camera. I won't necessarily let the cat out of the bag. My buddy, Aaron Hepler was with me. We, we grabbed a bunch of camera cards and we actually did a podcast after we got done kind of pulling cameras and kind of doing a pseudo scout at the same time. There's one area that we wanted to check out uh, as we were pulling cameras ended up being a bust, but the inventory we had on camera more than made up for it. And so it's looking more and more like I'm going to be spending more of my October time, uh, you know, or, or hunting bucks, if you will, in the, uh, in the new area, just based on the inventory that, that, that we have, but, uh, have a cool show for you guys today. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get jumped into that, to that show. But before we do that, I just want to give you guys a heads up. I know, uh, I guess it was a couple months ago. Now I had, uh, had bill on from, from Spartan forge. Um, and if you're not familiar with Spartan forge, you can head over to the, to the website, um, and, and check out what they have online, but they have an app that's coming out and it should be coming out here in the next, I would say a couple weeks, I would say middle-ish of the month, maybe toward the end of the month-ish. I don't know exactly what the date is, whenever it's going to launch, but it's going to be killer. I've gotten, to, uh, I've had an opportunity to kind of take a sneak peek uh, at it, and I've used what they have as, in terms of what's on the on the website. Um, and it's super cool what, they, what they've kind of done. If you don't know Bill's background, I would go back to the episode I did with, uh, did with Bill and, and just kind of listen to, I guess, the, his layout of what, the app is ultimately going to be able to do or what it'll be able to deliver. Cause right now, when you think about apps that are out there for hunting, you know, for mapping and stuff like that, it's, it's pretty basic, you know, it, you know, it, they do a decent job where you get your topography, you get property, you know, some, some real time weather type of stuff and, and, and things like that. But one of the things that I always kind of end up doing, like I do, like I did today, it's, you know, when I get all these trail camera pictures, I'll go back and start looking at like historical weather dates and stuff like that and kind of get a sense for, okay, well, whenever I get to go hunt this in October, you know, what is my prevailing wind predominantly? Right. And I start to kind of look at those types of things. And then, you know, one of the things that's extremely helpful is, you know, always trying to understand, you know, predicted movement, you know, maybe you talk to some locals and start to understand like, okay, so when does it really pop off? Like for me, I know locally here, man, you know, it's definitely that Halloween timeframe, but I know in some areas that I've hunted other places where it's really more that middle-ish first week of November, other places I've been, it's more the second week of, of November. And so when deer really start to move, and that's one thing Bill is doing with Spartan Forge is kind of trying to bring all these things, not, not kind of, he's bringing all these things into one app, um, to where you don't have to kind of go to different areas to find this information. So it's this predictive modeling deer, deer movement, you know, being able to kind of understand how, when deer are going to increase their movement in particular areas and, and what other data points, weather, et cetera, are connected to that. And it's not just based on a single guy's um, understanding or theory on how, you know, how deer move, you know, from a, 
a farm in Iowa or Wisconsin or whatever whatever the case is. This is actually based on real GPS collar data. Bill's background is actually in artificial intelligence with the military where he was putting together packages to go kill bad guys. And so he's basically taking that same kind of learning and that same understanding of artificial intelligence and creating some modeling around deer prediction and, um, and, and movement overall. And that's really kind of what the, you know, I don't want to say the basis of the app is because you're going to get all the stuff you get with any of the other app, you know, map companies or map, you know, apps that are, that are out there. But the thing that you're going to get that is, you know, going to be, I guess, a cut above is going to be that predictive, you know, movement or that predictive modeling of deer movement. The historical weather data is going to be kind of at your fingertips, you know, the mapping, the features that are on there. Like when you look at what's out there now, be truth be told what you will find on Google earth. A lot of times is uh, more accurate in my, in my personal opinion, just in what I've, you know, some of the places I look at, and you don't really get a good sense of what things look like. It's kind of blurry a little bit. The imaging on the the sample that I had seen is killer and is 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 a cut above. So you're going to want to check out Spartan Forge when it comes out. You know, make sure you head over to the uh, the the website just to kind of get a taste if you haven't yet for um, for what Bill's going to have going on. But the app is going to be the app is going to be killer. Um, I'm looking forward to it coming out. And uh, you know, if you guys are interested in kind of being able to have like a one-stop shop for all your deer hunting information, you know, it's definitely worth checking out. You can go over to SpartanForge.ai uh, uh, right now and check out just the the desktop version of it. But the app is going to blow that out of the water. So be be on the lookout for that. I'll make sure to mention it and I'll post it on my Instagram profile whenever uh, when it finally drops. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. Super cool f- show for you guys today. My buddy Taylor Chamberlain, the Urban Bowman. This dude is a crazy whitetail hunter. He hunts like 200 plus days out of the year. He's in DC. Um, just a super cool dude. Been saddle hunting for forever. Um, we get into a little bit of saddle hunting talk. We get into talking, you know, urban urban hunting. We get into talking a little bit about gear, about hunting efficiency, and just being as efficient as efficient as possible, which is kind of appropriate right now because usually the first hunt of of the year for me every year is an, 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 you know, an unmitigated disaster. I'll forget something or something like that. will you know, something will go wrong. And so we talk a little bit about that as well. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. As always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the truth from the stand deer hunting podcast. And today I have one, a buddy of mine that it's been way too long since the last time I had him on. He is the, the urban freak. If you will, I'm giving you a new nickname, man. Not just the, not just the urban Bowman, man, but I'm like the urban, the urban freak. I'm talking. My to wife her. calls me the urban freak, so that that works really well, <laughs> right? <laughs> nice for for a multitude of other reasons. I'm referring to the deer hunting. <laughs> yeah, she calls me a lot of names, not many. Uh, my my actual God given name, yeah, right, right. But I'm talking yeah. the, the the dulcet tones you hear on the other line is my buddy Taylor Chamberlain. How are you doing, brother? I'm fantastic, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I you know, we were talking before you hit record here. It's been two years. Uh, yeah, it's been way I've too been long. long, way too long. Wait. I I was looking at the Skype thing because it always tells you the last time you spoke was. Oh, and you and I have talked otherwise, like texting and on the phone and right. stuff like that. But last time you've been on the podcast, it was like two years. And I was like, you got to be kidding me, man! It's like it doesn't seem like it's been that long. But you know what they say, man? When you get older, time tends to fly by. And I think we were both in that uh in that bracket, if you will. One hundred percent. Yeah, they say the uh, the days are long, but the years are short. And I am one hundred percent in that category. We were actually, um, you know, we've been trying to schedule this for a while. And yeah. It's like with little kids and just stuff that comes up. It's it's insane. 
It is. Uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine. You know, uh, I, I have two little girls, um, three and one, and it, I was just like, I was complaining to a buddy of mine. I was like, I don't realize, or I, I, I don't know, like what I did with my free time before children. Like, you oh, don't yeah. realize how much time you have to yourself, and then like you get married, and then you have some kids, and then it is game on. No, yeah, no more free. Yeah, it's full on game on and you start kind of carving out like five minutes here. You know, I mean, you're in that like stage of like constant care, too, which is just like it's it's oh, yeah. like it's like boot camp of oh, yeah. adult I'm, life. I'm changing. I'm changing diapers. I'm changing my own diaper. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get out in the woods as much as possible. Um, and, and now, granted, like. You know, we're going to play the world's smallest violin for me for a second here because I still hunt uh, 200 plus days a year. So it's not like, say, yeah, 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 I'm I'm not like, uh, you know, tied down in the house here. There's there's no shortage of hunting opportunities that I get to have. But, right. uh, yeah, it, it's it's not not like it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the folks out there listening, I mean, the, there's plenty of folks and dudes that are listening to this podcast that, you know, have a have young kids and, and, and stuff like that, I'm sure. So they can, you know, probably are all in the same boat to, to a degree. But I just remember whenever my daughter was that age and you got at times too, like two within two years of each other. Like that's like, that's crazy talk. Mine's 12 going to be 13 this year. So I'm slowly, but surely kind of getting out of the, well, I'm way beyond like the constant care. Now I'm just the dumbest person that lives in the house. That's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, um, I feel like it's all about perspective though. Right. Yeah. And so I have triplet brothers. And so I feel like I constantly find myself like a couple times a week, just questioning how my parents survived mm -hmm. raising four boys, like four wild boys. And we're fist only fights. three. And yeah. Fist fights. I mean, we got really good at repairing drywall uh, <laughs> at a very early age <laughs> in our house. Um, and but I mean, like just uh, having one kid at a time is difficult. And I can't imagine having a doctor be like, you're going to have three at the same time. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. I'd be I'd be like, um, come come again. Come on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I want to say no. Come yeah. say pick one. Yeah. Like, can we just put the other two back? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's the going rate for a baby? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm sure I could get more than like a black market liver. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause they have, there's one growing in there. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's a pursuit for the price of one that you got your, yeah. you got your, your sale you got a kid in a liver. Yeah. Yeah. Good to go. But I mean, that's, I think that's a good starting point, man. Like given that you have, you know, all the, you know, parental responsibilities, shall we, shall we say, right. And you hunt a crazy amount for those that don't know Chain, or Taylor or don't know his story. And, you know, we've talked about it in the last, last podcast, I would go back and listen to that one to kind of get the full depth and breadth of it. But Taylor hunts 200 plus days a year, lives outside of DC. It's in an urban area to where it's not only is he hunting cause he loves it, but it's also part of kind of helping mitigate some of the issues with you know, deer management and population control in and around, you know, the suburbs and urban, urban area of, of DC, which is how and why he's able to hunt kind of year round. But with yeah, that, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. Sorry. I cut you off, but I literally hunt year round. And, and yeah, um, the reason for that is because we have a major overpopulation of white tailed deer and, 
you know, we dove deep into that um, in the last podcast we did. But if for anybody who hasn't heard that, I mean, the Cliff Notes version is that um, for where there should be a carrying capacity of 10 to 12 deer per square mile, they can't calculate how many deer there are in my area. Uh, their best guess is 400 to 425 deer per square mile. Yeah, which so, is just insane. It's insane. It, there, I mean, there. You can go in the woods and you can crouch down to like four feet. Well, some people could stand up to four feet. You can get to about four feet and you can see as far as your eye will let you, even this time of year, because the vegetation is just gone. Um, and that's because the deer are so popular. They're just crushing everything. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, the the state allows a handful of people to hunt year round. Fortunately, I'm one of those people. Um, obviously that's in certain areas. There's a bunch of stipulation around that. Um, you know, we've talked about that in depth. So if anybody's interested, check it out, but, um, yeah, it, it's crazy. And, and so it, it goes from a passion to an obsession and you have to make sure that you don't stop loving what you're doing because it's pretty easy to turn it into work and then kind of resent that you get to do something that's so cool. Uh, yeah. or such a privilege to have. And you have to, you know, I, I often find myself like joking with my buddy, Billy, um, you know, just always saying like, Hey man, like guys would just die to have mm -hmm. the opportunity that we have. And like, yeah, it, it you know, it sucks to hunt in July and August when it's 110 degrees out in like the DC swampy heat. But at the same time, like we get to hunt year round. That's great. Right freaking sweet man like i get to put carbon in the air all year long um and like yeah it sucks to drag deer and, and have the cops called on you and, on you and deal with all the the stuff that you have to deal with when yeah. you're hunting in the suburbs but we get to hunt year round so like it's pretty cool and you just have to keep the right mindset and perspective when you're thinking through all that yeah so you the one thing you mentioned and i want to touch on it is just you know not turning it into a job or not losing like the passion for it because you do it, you do it so often or whatever. And like, to me, like it's, it's burnout, right? Like how do you, how do you keep from getting burnout? Cause I know just for me, you know, and it might be different, like when you're in season or maybe you're on a destination hunt or whatever. But if I go out for say, you know, I don't know, let's just say two weeks. Right. It, and I grind for like 14 to 16 days straight, man, after that 16th day, I'm, I'm good. I literally come home and I'm yeah. like, I need like a good three to five days of, of sleeping in my own bed, you know, getting up at a normal hour and just kind of recalibrate to kind of reset. How do you keep from getting burnt out whenever you're just kind of, when you don't have that, that, um, how do I say this? When you don't have that vision of an off season to kind of just like know, know that you're going to pull back and be able to kind of fully like recharge, reassess and get ready for the next. Yeah, when you have a finish line there that you're like working towards, it's easier to to like, you know, give it that extra push until the finish line, right? Because you yeah. can go, you can think and you're like, oh, I got 12 days left in the season. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna hammer them out, you know, and that's what pushes you through. Um, for me, you know, I'm I am a diehard whitetail hunter first and foremost, and so. Um, I love being in the woods and I love the chess game of, of being in the woods. I love trying to, to figure out where deer are going to be, why they're going to be there and then go there and, and like see how my predictions work or see if I was right or wrong. And 
I think a lot of that comes from, you know, I, I taught myself how to hunt. I didn't learn how to hunt from anybody. Um, and there was a lot of drive and, and desire there and just to figure it out and then to be successful and then to shoot, you know, five deer and then shoot 10 deer or whatever. And, um, not that, that, you know, the, the, the quantity of deer that you shoot has anything to do with the level of skill that you have. Um, but I just kept pushing myself and pushing myself. And now I'm at the point where it's kind of twofold, right? I am always striving to be a more efficient hunter. Whereas like in, until I'm at the point where every single time I go out, I'm harvesting a deer, there's something I can do better. I can access a property better. I can hunt a tree better. I can be quieter. I can be, you know, play the wind better. That can play the thermals better. There are all these different things. And I, I'm trying to learn the deer. Like, why are they coming out where they are? How are they using topography? How are they affected by all these weird things in the suburbs of dogs and stoners and homeless people and everything that they deal with? Um, and and then also, I mean, I get to shoot a lot of deer, right? So I think that if if I was in a spot where I only had one tag, like that would be brutal. But mm-hmm. you know, when you get to dump the string every every couple nights, it that doesn't suck either. So like, right. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think, I think the, the, like the combination of all of that prevents you from burning out. But I mean, I, with all that being said, I still get to the point where like, you know, in February when it is 10 degrees outside or zero and there's a foot of snow on the ground and my alarm goes off at four fifteen, like I'm not bouncing up all happy to like get out of bed. <laughs> right? Like I need a little bit of, uh, of your coffee there, uh, or sometimes a couple cups to get, right. get my ass out of bed and like get moving because it does sometimes just feel like repetition. And, um, you know, I really have to, to like stay disciplined in, you know, going to the tree, not just a tree. Oh, and, that's a good, make, that's a good point, man. Like, right. Because that mental, it, that mental like toughness of, yeah, that discipline aspect, because it'd be real easy just to be like, oh, I'm going to slip into whatever the easiest one is today. Absolutely. And and you you have to. I mean, I got to a point a couple years ago where I took down every single preset tree that I had <laughs> because I was getting lazy. You know, with the, with the exception of properties where there was only one tree to hunt from. Right. But I either was going to prep all of them or none of them. Because it, it just I found myself getting lazy and then going to the tree that was easier to climb as opposed to the right tree I needed to be in. And there were too many times that, you know, I wanted to shoot or walking by the tree that I would have been in if I hadn't have been lazy and actually had climbed the sucker and, and hunted it. So um, I just said, F it. Like, I'm going to hang and bang every hunt. And when you're doing that 200 times, 225 times, like that's a lot of hanging and there was also a lot of banging going on too. So, I mean, it, it, it proved itself to be correct. Um, and so, you know, now I, if I, if I do prep a tree, um, you know, I make sure that there are plenty of options, but the other thing that I learned in doing that is, you know, just because you have one tree that, that you're hunting, you know, the deer are not dumb. They're picking up on what's going on. And and even if you don't see any deer on that hunt, when they come in there that night at two o'clock in the morning or, you know, four o'clock, whenever they come through there, they're figuring out what's going on too. They're smelling the ground scent. They're trying to figure out like, 
okay, like a two-legger was here. Why why did why is there scent stop at this tree or why is there so much scent here? And when you shoot enough deer from that single tree, they'll avoid that spot. Right. And and so what I found was that, you know, it I have to work so hard to get access to these properties and they're only a quarter acre or half acre that if I'm pushing deer off because I'm shooting too many of them, I'm going to burn out a property without solving the problem of the deer on that property. And so, and then I, then I just have to start from ground zero all over again and go to the next property. And it's not as easy as just knocking on the door and they're like, Oh yeah, sure. Go ahead. Right. Um, and so, even if you move to the tree that you could touch from the tree that you're hunting in or move to the tree that's five feet away or 10 feet away, I'm shooting the deer in the same spot, but they're not figuring out exactly where the danger is coming from. Right. And um, it, it doesn't alter that, that area until you've killed that whole group of, of does. Right. And I think it's important to, you know, that, you know, we just in talking when you said you tore down all the like, like the presets and stuff like that. You know, I remember when I made a conscious decision to not hunt any presets ever anymore, right? Like to where I was like, I'm never gonna hang. You know, your your in- instance is a little bit different. You literally got like a thousand trees in your area that you could potentially hunt on all the different properties, right? So it makes sense to have either some of them kind of pre manicured or whatever the case is, right? Little you know, little different. Um, but similar principle where I was like, you know, I'm tearing everything down because I want to have to go in and assess and make a decision. And to me, it was just that that small little thing made the biggest difference in just being more finely tuned into like the acute little, you know, bits of sign and nuances that you would kind of see as you're on your way into an area you might hunt. Right. And that to me, like that's really smart. Just, you know, in that in that sense of just pulling it down because it makes you be more aware. And then, man, your setup system has to be slick as shit as many times as you do it. You know what I mean? Like to where your ability to get in and out of a tree, quiet, undetected, like doing it 200 times a year, man, it has no other option to be the, other than to be next level, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, and on top of that, like for anybody listening that doesn't, um, you know, follow my stuff, like I am super anal, like to a fault. Right. And, and so, I mean, you know, um, as my wife would tell you, I'm like super OCD and it just, it irritates me to no end to not be as efficient as possible. Um, which I think is part of the reason that I'm like such an anal deer hunter is because it's unperfectable, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and, and I'm a, I'm a big golfer too. And like golf is unperfectable. And so that like always keeps me very interested in like, trying to continually get better. Um, and so with my gear, it's like, I mean, for years and still now, if there's a a tiny little thing that I can fix and make better, like I'm diving in, I'm figuring out how to do it. I'm changing stuff. Um, you know, I'm constantly tweaking things like just, just looking for perfection. Um, so yeah, I mean like my full, like my truck setup. I mean, everything, even when you get down to like the tote in the back of my truck and like how it's layered, how my gear is layered, like down here in my man cave. Like it, it's kind of embarrassingly bad when, when you start looking at like <laughs> the, the level of, of type a, um, you know, personality that's gone into it. But I mean, and, and, you know, it's funny cause a couple of my buddies that, that are like really good friends that I hunt with, 
you know, from college, like they might hunt half a dozen times a year. Or maybe when we go to like our farm in Ohio, that's like the one time that they get to hunt that year. Right. And so it drives me insane when they're at the truck and they're like grabbing this and they're like, Oh, I forgot that. And I'm like, Jesus, man, like figure out a system, you know, like, <laughs> like get your shit together and like figure it out, you know? And it, it's just how my brain works. And, and, you know, obviously they're like, dude, this is hunting. This is fun. And I'm like, yeah, but it's more fun if you can like grab your, your stuff and like, if you don't take an hour at the truck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I calculated seven minutes for your drop off, not 14. Right. And like, I have a 32 minute walk. (laughs) It's like, you know, I have a certain time that I want to be at the, at the base of the tree. I'm the same. uh, I'm the same way, man. Like I'm probably not to the level you are, but I have a system. Everything is to your point. My totes layered when it gets into disarray, like whenever I'm on a trip and it's like, you're living out of like, you know, like last year I was in Missouri and Ohio and living out of that trailer that I built. And it's just like, it's a small space. It's inevitably going to start to get cluttered. You know, you got two to three guys in this small, tiny spot. Everyone's got trying to have their little place to kind of keep stuff in like by like the middle of the first week, I'm like ready to, I'm like ready to freak out. Cause I'm like looking through my tote and I'm like, I know that thing is in here. Why isn't this organized? Yep. You know, well, I can imagine it, your buddies come back like at lunch to hunt and it's like Taylor dipped out of the woods, came back and organized all their totes for them. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's funny is um I don't know if this happens for you, but like when I do go on a hunt where I break my my like standard routine, mm-hmm. I start forgetting stuff. Like oh, my yeah. when because there's stuff that I take for granted where I'm like, okay, like, you know, my my saddle always goes here and then when i'm in that little space where there's like crap everywhere and also i'm like where's my saddle where's my release you know it's like it, yeah because you get so used to that routine and that rhythm of knowing where everything is mm-hmm. that when you break it you don't think to look for it um you yeah. know like i went on a hunt with um a couple buddies a couple years ago and uh the, my camera guy a guy by the name of taylor also taylor coleman um he somehow took my platform and then I took his platform and we had all this camera gear and it was just like crap everywhere. And so the next morning we get to the base of the tree and I have my stuff and he's like, Hey, do you have my platform from last night? I was like, no. He's like, what do you mean you took it? And I was like, yeah, but like I wasn't bringing it out here this morning. We didn't talk about that. (laughs) Right. So it's like, we like climb the tree and we like shared this platform together and <laughs> hung a couple extra sticks on the side. And it was a full day rut hunt, like in Missouri. We were like two miles deep in public. And, and I was like, we're not going back. Like, you we're know, make we'll, do. <laughs> I have my platform. <laughs> Looks like you're shit out of luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. Fortunately we shot a deer like pretty early into that hunt. So he didn't, he didn't have to. He's a good buddy. He didn't give me any shit, but um, right. most people should have and would have. But, right. but it That's was like, dude, like I have my, I have my system. Like, I don't know how our wires got crossed when we're packing like 90 pounds of your camera gear out here, but <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. You know, yeah. It, 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 I'm the same way. It, everything comes out of the tote actually in like an, a certain order for me to get dressed, you know what I mean? Like the first layer I want to put on, like I have, I know how it's supposed to happen. I'm the same way as you where it's like I'm down to like the minute that I want to be like walking, you know, or it's even more specific for me. I get even more anal about it when I'm pat or when I'm boat when I'm boating in when I have water access just because I try to leave myself a little bit of, you know, a little bit of a variation of time because 
is the wind going to be bad? You know, is it going to slow me down or am I going to like almost dump the, dump the kayak or like, you know, just anything stupid that could happen. So I'm always trying to give myself a little bit of extra time to make sure I can get to the tree quietly, you know, don't have to rush. You know, it's the whole, that old saying of the, you know, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Right. Absolutely. I, I try to operate under that mantra. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, yeah. And, and the other thing is, like, if I get to the tree and my, my time estimates have been wrong and it's I'm way early, I can put my head down and, and just hang out until it gets light. Yeah. Or, you know, I like to be in the tree like a solid 45 minutes before first light right yep. so that that's up clipped in so you know what i do is i'll i, I have this like little routine in my head where i do the same thing that you do so i'll look at when first light is take 45 minutes off that and i think okay that's up here i need to get up there i need to walk there and i'm like taking time off and i'm at the truck i'm getting dressed i got all my stuff and then i build like a 10 minute buffer in for just you know stupid shit yeah yeah yeah, exactly because it inevitably is going to right it's like it's just it's just the way it's just the way it is right like i can't think of one time whenever i've walked into the timber that it went like where like everything timed out just right you know and especially at the beginning of the season it's like usually like my first hunt or second hunt like first two hunts of the year I typically will go somewhere hopefully they're bad weather days where i'll go somewhere i where i know it's like i'm gonna be a mess like the first two, like, you know what I mean? Like the you first, gotta knock the rust off. Though. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I climb in my backyard and I kind of practice and do all that yeah. stuff, but there's just, it's not the same as kind of like, all right, I got all my stuff. I'm going to hunt today. Right. Well, and, and just the, you know, the walking into the woods, the fact that, you know, stuff happens, the, uh, Oh, I forgot my water bottle or, you know, whatever it is. Like you just need to buffer in that time. But then I start competing against myself. Oh yeah. Where I'm, Okay, like yeah, I'm supposed to be up there at 5:43. Like I'm gonna beat it, um, and then you know. But at the same time, going slow and being quiet and methodical is way more important than than the speed of it, right? So like, even when I am racing myself, I'm also super anal about just being really, really, really quiet. Um, I don't think people realize how important the the sound that you make on your access and your exit, mm-hmm. like how important that is to, to deer hunting in general, but really mature, mature animal hunting. Cause I'm trying to kill mature does and bucks. Right. Right. Um, and it's so important to, to just be really quiet. Um, and that's why I think it's funny where, you know, a lot of people that reach out to me on the saddle hunting stuff, they're like, well, how fast can you climb the tree? Who cares? Like, What's <laughs> it matter? Right. Like I can yeah. climb the tree silently. And I weigh 250 pounds, right? right? So, like, the fact that I'm a 250-pound squirrel and I can get up a tree without making any noise in any tree is way more important to me than, like, clunking around like a one-man band trying to go up the tree just making a, a ton of noise, right? Yeah, yeah. That's always the two questions that I always kind of 
I, I won't say that. I mean, look, if people have questions about, it, I, I mean, I want them to ask because I want them to get as familiar as they possibly can with, you know, saddle hunting, mobile hunting, like whatever it is, right? So it's like there aren't any aren't any bad questions necessarily, but the two that I think aren't that aren't maybe as relevant. I think as people get into it and start to understand more, they realize it becomes less relevant. One is how how quickly can you climb, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the big ones, and the other and the other one is is well, how high can you climb? Right. Cause yeah. that's the other one I get a lot too. Cause it's like, I'll either be one sticking or two sticking with two eighters. And that's really all I ever use. And they're like, well, how, cause I'm not, I'm not a tall guy. I'm five, nine. So two sticks and a five step eighter, it's like, and setting my platform, I'm around like 16 foot, you know, and that's about my max I can get with my, you know, taking that limited gear in. And they'll be like, well, don't you want to get to 20 feet? And I'm like, for what is there like some magic like thing that's going to happen when I get to 20 feet? It's like, I, yeah. I, hunt, I hunt it first cover essentially is what right. I do, especially in like October when I have some cover, it's like, there's been plenty of hunts when I've, when I've hunted like eight foot off the ground because that was where my cover was at. You know, yeah. and it's like it, you know, it just, people need to get out of their head. Like, you know, and I get it high pressured States. Like I know John Eberhart preaches 30 foot up because Michigan deer will pick you off and stuff like that. I get it. There are some places where certainly, but if you, climb to cover like you're going to be good you know and if yeah, that well, covers it eight it, foot then it's a eight foot i totally agree and i think a lot of people you know one they're just so used to hunting from a stand a lot of people hunt with a climber around you know east coast yeah um, or you know, maybe a lock on but they're so used to being in something that's like sticking out off the front of the tree where well, it's, it also it's, has predetermined distance as well right correct. it's like you have sections yeah. right so Correct. And, and so they, they just think like, oh, you know, my, my three lone wolf sticks get me to 12 feet and I need to be at 15 plus because you know, whatever, it, they're these like arbitrary numbers. And to your point, like, I mean, dude, I've killed plenty of deer eight feet off the ground. I've killed plenty of deer 30 feet off the ground, mm-hmm. everything in between the deer, the, the height that I really prefer to hunt at is having my feet right around like 18 feet mm-hmm. um, unless there's cover. And I right. hunt at first cover regardless because I'd rather be in cover hiding yep. than up above it tell my buddies I climbed to 30 feet. Um, be, because as you get higher, that shot angle gets so I was just going to say the same thing. There's a whole bunch of things that are a benefit to hunting a little, little bit blank. lower. Yeah, exactly. Because when you start looking at that shot angle coming in at like a 45, 50 degree angle, that nothing good is happening there. You're coming in yeah. real high. You're exiting low. You have a real high probability of, of like single lung hits or marginal shots. You're increasing the, the, the potential for bone and contact in it. And there's just really nothing positive that comes out of that. Now, like, I guess the opposite argument of that would be like, well, I got a shot at an animal that I might not have gotten if I'd been hunting 12 feet off the ground. Well, like maybe, but the other thing that's great about saddle hunting is you're not walking through the tree, walking through the woods, hunting for a telephone pole, right? Right. Like the perfect basketball sized tree. I've been in trees. And again, like I'm six, three, I weigh 250 pounds. I've been in trees the size of my, my calf Mm -hmm. that are, you know, we're talking like four inches in diameter and I've been up in there and going like, this is going to snap. And when somebody finds me at the bottom, they're literally <laughs> going to look at the broken toothpick and they're going to look up and be like, can you believe that idiot thought that would hold him? You know? And, and 
like yeah you, you get a pucker factor of a solid 10 when the when the wind's yeah, blowing yeah. but it's it's the right tree to be in and and um like that's one of the cool things about saddle hunting is i could climb the wall behind me or i could climb my calf tree or anything in between and and be deadly in it and uh, I think that's really important both in mobile hunting where you're going into a certain spot that you've predetermined is the spot you need to be in. And it's also important where I'm hunting here in the suburbs because there might be two trees on a quarter acre property. And if they're both you Gnarly, know, 40 yeah. inches in diameter, like I can still climb up and, and hunt them. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and with saddle hunting, you know, with that, the height question, um, people don't realize like how, well you can hide yourself on a saddle or oh, in a saddle, like on a tree and and you know I, I see a lot of these guys that are hunting and they're like extremely reclined and they're you know their their shape is hanging off the tree funky and then they're like man i got busted and I'm like man like i'm like pretty vertical with the tree i'm still yeah. kicked back i'm super comfortable that's another question i get all the time is like how is that comfortable i um, get the same thing yeah you know but and we can go into that as well. But, like, I mean, you don't have to be super high off the, the ground to have that angle that you're at be very effective. You basically are off, like, an angle like a tree branch. I mean, I've had deer. Yeah. Like, I've been playing on my phone, completely oblivious to what's going on around me. Had a doe see me playing on my phone, moving around, and I've still killed that deer because they just don't know what you are when you're at this like tree branch type type thing. I mean, they might just think there's like a squirrel on the branch or the winds blowing like something. They just don't, don't yeah. pick up right away. Now, yeah. John Eberhart would tell you that I'm full of shit and that a deer doesn't do that. And I'm sure that deer where John's hunting definitely do that and pick them off. But, uh, here in the burbs where I'm fortunate. So, right, right. Yeah. And I've had the same thing happen where it's like, I've had them look right through me and I thought the same thing. I was like, I kind of look like a tree branch hanging off and I kind of follow the same approach that you do. I'm not way, way, you know, leaned out, you know, away from the tree. I kind of want to stay close to the tree and I'm pretty, I'm pretty vertical. I mean, I'm, I'm leaned enough to where I'm able to take a little bit of the weight off of my legs and put it into my saddle, right. To where it's like, I'm putting it more, a little bit into my hips. Um, but I'm still pretty vertical cause I want to stay close to the tree cause I want to use the tree as my cover, yeah. you know? And so I don't want to be way out, you know, way out from it necessarily. Right. And I think that's one, I think guys that I've talked to that were struggling with comfort, oftentimes there were two culprits for them. Usually whenever I would talk to them about, well, where do you have your tether set? Right. Well, how do you, how are you setting up? Like what angle are you are from the, are you from the tree? Those were usually the two main things that once they tweak those, it was a world of, it was a world of difference for them you know because Absolutely. they kind of get this idea that's like oh i got to lean back and take the weight off and it's like yeah you'll be comfortable doing that for about 5 minutes you know it's <laughs> like you know it's like it, it, you want us to hit a little bit more vertical and you keep you, you keep from irritating the hot spots you're going to have in a saddle potentially is what you're what you're really doing right um, Absolutely. so it, it's that and then tether height it's like i'm always like you know somewhere between like chest and like chin high is like typically like my sweet spot. Everyone's a little bit different because everyone has longer torsos or whatever, but I'm like, that's a good guide to start and then just start moving it around and figure out where it's at. It's like, if you don't like that high angle getting over your bridge to take a, a weak side shot, then you probably want to ride with it a little bit lower, right? Because it's going to give you a little less angle coming off the tree. And it's going to be a little easier for you to take those shots. If that doesn't bother you as bad, 
having a little higher might make you a little bit more comfortable. So it's all, it's all a give and take, you know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's kind of what my, I guess my, my guidance is. Yeah. And you need to play with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And you need to, to try, you know, all the way above your head, yep. all the way down at nipple height and then work up and down it and, and figure out what you like more. So, uh, I, I like to run my tether right at, uh, eyebrow level for me. eyebrow. And, okay. Yeah. So the reason that I like that the most is it has a good kind of angle of your dangle. Um, and, and it still has enough rope there. So when I'm taking a shot onto my offside, I like to put my right knee in the tree and then slowly rotate around and, and, and have my, um, my hip, like the ball of my hip joint up against the tree. Mm-hmm. So I'm literally sitting against the tree. Like the tree is right where my right shoulder is. And I have my foot in the, the wing of the platform and I'm sitting back like this and I can shoot all the way 12 mm. o'clock and pivot all the way back and keep rotating around and shoot all the way back around. And there's a very low movement doing that. Yeah. Um, I found that to be the most successful, but when I run my tether lower, I'm unable to make that shot because there's not enough rope there. Right. Um, and granted I'm a tall guy. I have a long torso. You can probably do that maybe with a lower, right. um, tether height it you just you got to play with it yeah uh, you have to figure it out and then also adjusting your bridge length will make a big difference as well for comfort yeah for sure I, I think that's that's one of my favorite parts about the whole like mobile hunting movement if you will is that there's just so many so many different ways to customize and and make it fit exactly the way you want it right and that's kind of well yeah that's, that's part of, of the yeah. Part of what makes it so cool, man, is the fact that like if you wanted to go hunt with a lock on and sticks, like that's your setup. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah, you could add uh you know, padded backpack straps to it, or you could add, you know, different sticks, I guess, or a different stand, but like the product that you're buying, that's basically it. Mm-hmm. Uh the saddle is just the foundation to to your setup. If you want a one stick, you can one stick. If you want to climb with an aider, you want to climb with spurs. If you want to have a ring of steps or a platform or a big platform or a medium platform or whatever you want, like it's available and you can build a a setup that weighs 15 pounds and you can build a setup that weighs half a pound and like everything in between. There are all these trade-offs or pros and cons and it's totally up to your style of hunting. I mean, if you want to have just a bunch of trees prepped, you can have a bunch of trees prepped. If you, whatever you want to have, it's like, it's totally up to you and you're still able to to hunt from the saddle. And what I like about the saddle as well, I mean, there are obviously a ton of things I like about it, but I like that whether I'm going to a preset tree or if I'm going to a tree I've never climbed or maybe a tree that I've prepped, but just has a bright eye in it and nothing else, my system doesn't change. Right. You know, my saddle's on my butt. I'm walking into the tree. I I'm climbing the tree, you know, and I'm, I'm hanging from the tree. Like nothing is changing there. Mm-hmm. And that to me, that repetition is very comforting in the fact that like, I know that I don't have to think, okay, I'm going to that tree back there that has a ladder stand in it, but I haven't hunted it in two years. So I have to throw a ratchet strap in my backpack and make sure that, you know, I have enough time to fix the strap if it's broken or and I need to put my harness on and, uh, oh, I haven't hunted it in it. You know, I need to throw another tree tether around it. like all the stuff that comes with it. 
Uh, or you get to the tree and it's like, well, where'd that tree stand go? Did somebody yeah. steal it? Like I haven't been back here for a year. You know, that's the big thing for me, man. Is like one of the things for me that's well, there's there's a couple things. Like there's a lot of stuff I like about it, right? <laughs> but you know, there's been a couple for me. Like one is that I can actually change the setup on a hunt to fit whatever that hunt is going to be. Like I did yeah. it last year, whenever I was in Missouri and Ohio, it's like, sometimes I'll start out with a certain kind of rig. Right. And I might get a couple of days into it and be like, you know what? I'm tired of using this shit, get rid of that. And then I'll slim it down to where it's just like, man, I'm taking hardly anything and just bare bones in it. Right. Cause maybe it's an area that I'm going to potentially have to hunt from the ground. Some, and I'm like, mm, there's like a 50% chance I'm actually going to get into a tree. And so I'll just like strip it all down to where it's like, I might only carry one stick and I might carry my tether and my lineman's belt and that's it. You know what I mean? And like, and I'm just, and I'm going, you know, um, and I might just use that stick as my platform, you know, depending cause I might be moving a lot, you know? And so it's like, it's modular in that way. And the other thing that you just mentioned that to me is why a public land hunter, you know, why it, it fits me really well for that is that one, I don't want my stuff getting stolen. So I, I pull it out all the time, but two, you also don't telegraph where you've been. Or where you're at. That's yep. the other big thing for me. Cause how many times do you walk in? It's like, and I'll be scouting somewhere and I'll find someone set up and you can quickly tell by looking at their setup. It's like, are they a bow hunter? Or are they gun hunter? Right. It, you, can, you can pretty quickly like assess what, you know, what the situation is. And then you can also based on you scouting there and looking at the sign, you can also quickly tell like, do they know what they're doing or not? Right. And if they do, and I'm like, this spot's really good just because there's stuff there doesn't mean I'm not going to come and hunt that area. You know what I mean? It's like, cause I'm going to bet they're probably going to hunt weekends. Maybe I'll put a camera in and monitor and see how often they're coming in or if they're coming in. And so now it's like, I just found another potential spot. I'm going to, I'm going to earmark, you know what yep. I mean? And so it, it just kind of telegraphs things to, to folks and you start to, you start to kind of, you know, do yourself a disservice to a degree. Oh, for sure. And, and I mean, that's part of the reason that, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I started saddle hunting. Um, yeah. I don't want people to walk through the woods and see where I'm hunting. I don't yeah. want people to, you know, either another hunter to be blood trailing a deer and then, you know, maybe trespass onto a property I have permission on and see my setup and be like, oh, like I can go ask this property owner for permission now. Right. Um, or I don't want anti hunters to mess with my stuff or some kid to be in the woods not knowing what he's doing and like climb my sticks and fall off of them. Right. So, right. um, you know, being out of sight, out of mind in in an urban environment is worth its weight in gold. And I think on a public land stuff as well, you know, there's some properties um, that that I hunt where I share with some guys and like <laughs> for whatever reason, they'll think that the spots that I'm hunting are like these magical spots. And so if they can walk back there and know where I'm hunting, then all of a sudden they start hunting there and it's like, you know, dude, I was just hunting here because, you know, it looked good or whatever, but now it's ruined because, you know, somebody else didn't take the time or, or attention on their access or, you know, maybe they got busted by a doe. That to me is, is one of the most annoying and aggravating things that can happen is if, if, you know, you're in a tree and a doe walks in and immediately looks at the tree that you're hunting and then starts blowing Mm-hmm. And you didn't get busted, you know. You know that that somebody else has been in there and screwed that up. Like that that makes me a little pissy. Yeah. Um, so you know, I I just I found that by 
look, hanging sticks when you hunt is really not that hard or, or one sticking or whatever you're doing. Like it really doesn't change that much of your hunt. Um, and like it keeps everybody out of your tree. It's amazing how few people want to take that extra little step of just carrying sticks in with them. Yeah. And sticks are light, man. They're like four pounds now. Like some some sticks are as light as four pounds for four sticks. Yeah, and exactly. It's like it just or or again like like the one sticking because I know you you've gotten into one sticking. Yeah. Uh, so you know I got into one sticking like a year ago. Um, it's awesome, you know, yeah. and, and like you can go as high as you want. There's no tree you can't climb. Uh, you know, it's silent. It's it's fantastic. It's safe. Um, you know, there are really not any downsides to it. And it's really cool to repel out of a tree. Dude, it's know? the coolest thing. Like, that's yeah. the one thing. Like, it's funny because I actually, whenever I started kind of thinking about, you know, setting up a one sticking system and stuff like that, you know, it, I liked the idea that it being able to climb with one stick. Like, that was, that was interesting because I only have to carry in one stick, right? But the thing that really kind of sold me on it more so than anything was the repel out. And, and, and it is super cool. You're, you're like Batman. I ain't going to lie. Right. Yeah. But the bigger thing for me was at the, I don't know how many times I've gone to get out of a tree and I start to climb down and I've gotten caught like mid climb because it was too dark to, to shoot any longer. So I'm like, all right, take a quick check. There's no deer around. Let me slip out of here real quick. Right. So I start to tear down all my stuff. And whenever I make the final check to go, all right, I'm going to descend now. I start making my descent down the sticks and all of a sudden deer pops out. Right. Yep. I couldn't have shot it cause it was too dark, but I'm now stuck on a stick, potentially going to get busted or whatever. So for me, it's like whenever I'm done with my hunt and I'm packed up and I want to get out of the tree, like I want out and I want out now. Like, yeah. And I want to, that was the biggest thing for me cause I've had that happen too many times and it was just a quicker way for me to get my stuff out of the tree, get down, packed up and, and get out of the area before I booger anything up. That way I'm trying to save it. So I can come back and potentially hunt it again, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, for me, I, I just like how, how fast it is. Right. Oh, yeah. So it, you know, if I'm using four sticks for me to quietly climb down, put them back together, put all my stuff back in my pack, the way that it's going to come back out. Uh, it's like about 15 to 17 minutes mm-hmm. like from, from the, the time that I'm like, okay, time to go to, to like walking back to the truck. And, like that just adds up. Um, yeah. And so if I can just rip down the tree in about 30 seconds, pull my line, pull my line down, uh, put it back up, take my stick and roll. I mean, it's like maybe 90 to 120 seconds and I'm yeah. out of there. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that's a big difference. It's a 15 to 13 to 15 minute difference. Yeah. Huge uh, difference. And for yeah. someone like me who, I'm oftentimes during the season too trying to catch a morning hunt before work, right? Yep, to where I'll slip exactly. out and grab a quick hunt in the morning where I gotta I work remotely, so it's like I gotta just be back at my house, like signed on sometime around nine, nine thirty. It's not like super, you know, I just have to get my work done, you know. So but I should be logged on by like nine thirty, right? So gotta get back to the house by then. And that fifteen minutes is like fifteen more minutes of me hunting and potentially getting an opportunity to shoot something or 15 minutes of me packing up to get back to the house so I can start work. And so yeah, that was a big, that was a big kind of reason for me to, to, it's, to build it's a, system. a big deal. I even started repelling out of trees that I have preset. It's just that much faster. 
Yeah. You know, like if I have bolts in the tree, I just just repel right out of them. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Not like, not to mention just how light it is too. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like because I'm one like I'm one sticking with the tethered one stick, which is a pound. <laughs> you know what I mean? Plus my thirty feet of rope, and that's it. Like that's yeah. that's all I got. You know what I mean? So there's not a. I I also use a a lineman's rope whenever I'm when I'm climbing with that, but because you're tied in, you could theoretically go without it unless you have branches you have to get around. Then I would tie in whenever you're going around branches, of course, and stuff like that, right? Yep. But it just especially for like because someone asked me, they were like, "Are you going to still two stick?" And I said, "I will probably two stick still in areas where I know exactly where I'm potentially where I'm going to go." Right? I was like. I'd probably still two stick some of those places. I was like, but for out of state hunting, you know, where like, for example, I'm going to Kansas this year may or may not be climbing a lot of trees. Depends on where exactly I end up and what the opportunity is, but I'm certainly not going to carry more stuff than I need to. Cause there's a high chance I'm going to be hunting from the ground a fair amount. So carrying one stick and 30 foot of rope in my pouch means I can climb any tree I want to get into any nasty cottonwood that's out there that, that is a bitch to put sticks on. I can get yep. into it and I'm carrying next to nothing. So hunting from the ground, it's like I'm carrying a bunch of extra stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's what, what, um, I think a lot of guys that have gone to this like really aggressive public land, you know, run and gun kind of style of hunting. Um, you know, like Zach Farnbaugh comes to mind, right? Like yeah. Zach's wearing the, his saddle, and yep. He's like, sometimes I climb a tree. Sometimes I just sit on the ground, but like my saddles is with me. Yep. Um, I feel like a lot of Western hunters haven't picked up on the saddle hunting yet, but if I was hunting out West, I mean, I would definitely have a saddle in my pack because I mean, if you come across a wallow or something early season, that's just destroyed. Mm-hmm. Climb a tree and, and sit. I mean, a, a big bull literally cannot look up. Right. right. I mean, his antlers will prevent him from looking up. So right. I, I would definitely be up in one of those Aspen trees uh, trying to crack old old Mr. Bugling Ooh. bull in a, in a wall. <laughs> old Mr. Bugler. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I'm not trying to walk a bunch. So that would really suit my hunting style. Right. Very, very <laughs> it's funny you say that because my buddy, um, I don't know if you know him from like the Beast Forum or whatever, but Tim Bunau, he was from. Yeah. Yeah. From New York. He lives out in Montana now. I want to say it was like two or three, uh, two or three weeks ago or something like that. I, I think I might have posted something after I sewed a, a climbing meter together. I was out practicing one sticking, climbing, stuff like that. And he sent me a text. And he was like, hey, he's like, how do you think a saddle system would work out west? You know, and it's funny you say that because we literally just traded texts about that a few weeks ago. And I'm pretty sure it was Tim, if I'm not mistaken. And I was like, dude, I was like, I think it would be killer. You know, I was like, it, yeah. why, why wouldn't you, you know what I mean? I was like, you're not carrying a whole lot, a whole lot extra, you know? And if you have the opportunity to get into a tree where you're going to watch a, a ravine or something like that for some mule deer or whatever the case is, you know, I was like, the, or you're going to, he hunts some whitetails out there too, some, some big whitetails. And I was like, especially whitetail hunting. I was like, I'd certainly have one. And then my other buddy who lives in Montana asked me the same thing. Um, uh, damn it. Why can't I think of his name now? All of a sudden I just took uh Shimer. Why can't I? That's terrible, dude. He's like one of my good friends and I can't, even... <laughs> I just totally blanked him on his first name. His last name is, is Shimer though. It's the guy I went out elk, elk hunting with. Um, but he asked the same thing like last year he was just, he's like, do you think this would work? And I was like, and said the same thing you said, I was like, dude, a wallow 
you got a you got a killer wallow set up i was like i don't know why you wouldn't use one you know yeah and i i'm pretty sure i mean i'm certainly not a western luke hunting Shimer. expert jesus there you go luke Shimer. damn <laughs> love you luke yeah um I'm, I'm certainly not a western hunter by any means but i'm pretty sure you can drill like you can screw into trees out west uh as long as it's not on like blm land i think on mm. on like or some of the like public access land definitely check the regs if you live out west and you're going to try this but um i mean you could take like carbon bolts and mm-hmm. a little hand drill and put that in your pack along with the saddle and you're at like nothing weight wise like yeah. maybe five pounds yeah it weighs and less than it weighs less than your spotter that you got in your pack 100 percent. yeah it weighs less than what i eat for breakfast for sure <laughs> and, and um you know i would just have that in my, it would just live there and then if you need to climb a tree like you have it or you just climb up the branches i mean like like you could very easily you know not need a a climbing stick in your pack and still be able to hunt very efficiently uh, yeah. out West. I, I would 100% do it. Yeah, for sure, man. With all this gear talk, dude, I'm always curious with, uh, with any new gear that anyone is adding to their kit for the upcoming season. Cause I'm a little bit of a gear nerd this year. I've actually stayed pretty like, I haven't made a bunch of changes this year. It's like the first year in a while that I haven't kind of rearranged things. Uh, but I'm always curious what other guys what other guys are doing. So any any swaps this year for gear that you're adding or, or removing? Yeah, I mean I'm always tinkering with stuff. Um, I started shooting a smaller fixed blade um, this like late winter uh, this year, and uh, really liking the results of it. So I had been shooting. Um, I, I test a ton of different broadheads. I helped with the rage hypodermics um, in prototype phase like forever ago. Um, I loved that head. My only concern with that head was the the blade angle on it. Um, so I like when I'm hunting really tight properties. I like shooting a uh, a big mechanical, like a rear deploying mechanical, mm-hmm. um, just because the difference in a deer running 30 yards and 50 yards and dying is a big deal to me. It's but like whether that it's be- in the woods or on someone's front doorstep. Yeah. Or like in a, in another pool, uh, which I'm I never want that. Yeah, to that was terrible. <laughs> I yeah, remember you told um, me that. That's bad news. But, but I mean, so like, and there's still some properties that I prefer to have a big cut on contact or a big, uh, opening mechanical head. But the downside to that is if you hit any type of a bone, like you're in trouble. And so yeah. I messed around with some different mechanicals, wasn't super happy. And, um, you know, for me, like I want a head that is forgiving, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I want it forgiving in flight where if my form's not perfect because I'm twisted up like a, like a big old pretzel, um, you know, I want it to still hit its mark. And if I don't hit like a perfect bullseye X, I want to have the biggest cutting surface possible to like make up for me right. and, and cut as much shit as it can. Um, so I tinkered around with a couple different heads. I shot the Ramcats for a while. I really liked the Ramcat, like 125s. Um, my only concern with the Ramcats were 
they were a little louder in flight than than a lot than some other heads. Uh, they kind of had like a little distinct whistle to them, um, and the blades weren't super durable, which is fine. Like if you're shooting it through a deer, um, you're good. And they were just kind of like a pain in the ass to get in and out of your quiver because they're Agreed. literally so big. It's like an yeah. over two inch. Um, and but they're devastating. Shooting- the deer that I shot with those, it was just like ridic- ridiculous the wound that you would get. But I had all the same issues you had. Yep. Yeah. And, and the quiver, the thing that irritated me about the quiver was, you know, if there's back pressure on it, it'll, it'll actually, the way that the, uh, the, the, the screw that holds the blade in, yeah. it'll, it'll pull it loose and it'll be a little loose. And then that head's basically useless like, on that, hunt. For that yeah. hunt. Yeah. Um, so I started shooting the day six heads and, mm-hmm. um, I shot both the inch and a quarter and the standard one inch. And the one inch head with the three quarter inch bleeder that um, was a prototype when I was shooting a lot of deer with it and is now available was is like awesome. So it's an inch and three quarter cut, you know, that's coming through there. It is solid steel and it is doing a lot of damage. Um, And so that head to me was like finally the perfect combination of a head that's super tough. It's going to blow through whatever it hits but it's still got a big enough cutting surface area that it's forgiving with your shot placement, you know, as much as possible with those trade-offs. So uh, I put that head in play really like that. Um, Trying to think what else. And Brian's just a good dude too, man. It's like, I've been shooting shooting his arrows or killer, killer arrows, you know, so no complaints there. Yeah. His arrows are great. Yeah. I, I've been shooting his arrows for, for four years now. Um, they're tough as hell. I've got one that I just keep seeing how many deer I can put it through. I'd have to count the, like the tallies on it, but I think I'm at like 14 or 15 deer and it's been like, like off rocks and all this stuff and it's good to go. So love his heads, love his components, love his arrows. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think through what else I got some, you know, the one sticking, I switched to the eight millimeter ropes that, that tether came out with. Okay. And it's funny, like how much of a difference the eight millimeters makes, um, you know, if you're not one sticking, mm-hmm. you can get both your, your lineman's belt and your tree tether in just one sys hauler. So it's just way less bulk, wow. um, way less BS. I might have to, uh, I might have to. So does that work with the mad rock? I think it's technically, I think it's out of spec by like a 10th of a, that's what I thought. Oh, yeah. Something like something like that. Yeah. I think the mad rock says 8.1 millimeters or more on it. <laughs> that um, one tenth. Yeah. Nice. Although I, I mean, you know, the, the Sterling Oplux I think is nine millimeters. Um, yeah. And it works pretty, pretty well, but yeah. yeah. So, um, the what sticker are you works. using? What sticker are you using for your for your one stick? Uh, Carl made me a, yeah. a <laughs> stick, but I have also been using the the tethered one stick. the The tethered one stick is much quieter for one sticking than the one that Carl made me that has the um it has like the muddy type uh, mm-hmm. cam cleat the on cam it. Cleat, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's spring loaded, and so if you're not like careful when you disengage it, it'll get a little pingy uh, yeah. to it. Yeah, because I, I made one before before I got my one sticks. I made a one stick setup 
where I had a bunch of pieces here from cut down sticks I'd made previously. And so I just bought components, yep. put a cam cleat on it and had the same thing where it's like, I tried all the tricks to where it's like, you can take paracord and put in between the cam cleat. So it doesn't kind of like clap shut on you and stuff like that. But I just never got it to never got it to be quiet. And so I switched yeah. over, just used a tethered stick for, for that purpose. Cause it's just quieter. And actually that the, the way that the, the, um, the Dynalock button works on that tethered one stick is like awesome. Oh one yeah. Stick. Well, not just that, but it's like you, when you're using that cam cleat, you kind of have to hold like the, you got to, you know, take the, your, uh, your rope that you're running through your cam cleat, kind of hang it over your, over your step or whatever the case is. Right. To, Cause if it falls down, it's kind of a bitch to get a hold of or whatever, yep. but there's enough, there's enough length on the tethered one stick that I literally just, the way the sticks are, because they're kind of open the way the standoff is kind of built into the step. There's that opening there. I just pull it through that and hang it yep. there. That way it's always kind of, it's always right there. I don't need to like have another like doohickey on there, like to clip it or anything like that to not lose my rope. I just slide it through that and it's, I'm good to go. Yeah, it works really well. So I actually have been one sticking with the one stick for some time now. And nice. I just like, I like how simple the one stick is. You know, I like that they're, no moving parts on it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that can like wear out or break over time. Um, you know, the way that that roll pin runs through it, like it's just, it's solid. It's not going yeah. anywhere. Um, and, and sharp it, as I, shit. Like I've cut my knuckles on that thing multiple times. <laughs> dude, it bites a tree so hard. I mean, it yeah. is so, so solid on a tree. And I, I, I just love that like little curve that the step has. Uh, I mean, you can get that tree at like the the stick at like almost a 25 or 30 degree angle and it's not going anywhere. So um, like that a lot. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's basically it. Like I've been focusing really on um, just having a ton of different options. I spend a lot of time this time of year, like blowing out trails to trees, Mm. um, like I, I'm really, really meticulous when it comes to my access, my ingress and egress on a, mm-hmm. on a place to hunt. Um, and I'm, I'm even funnier about it because I make sure those trails aren't visible from the road, right? So, like, if you drove by a property, you're not going to see, like, a little trail in the leaves and, and like, want to go investigate it. Right. Um, but, you know. That's hard uh, to do where you're at, too, man, because you're around roads everywhere. Yeah. Oh, dude, I'll take bright eyes and like put them in a circle on a property. If I see guys out there trying to follow them, like I, I try to make it as hard as possible to find, uh, to find where I'm hunting as, as you can. Cause you know, it only takes one screw up to educate those deer and, and you know, then it's game over. Um, so I used to, I was running a different vehicle. I, I had its coma for a while. Uh, that I had a deck system in that was like super organized and I organized my topper on it. Um, I recently uh, bought a forerunner instead. So I've been like rigging that out with a ton of kit, which has been fun. Uh, nice. I put Molly like stuff all on the inside of it, like metal Molly attachments with a shelf across the middle. Um, so I've been having a good time, like kitting out my, my deer sled and all my stuff in there nice. to make it like a somewhat discreet killing machine. Right. Um, something else I went to about a year ago now, I started hunting with a hinge, which was okay. like a really, really big transition to make for a yeah. guy who's you know shot a lot of deer not using a hinge. Right. Um, and I really like 
it took a while to get used to this, but I really like not having to worry about anything in like the back half of my shot sequence. Right. right. So like I just anchor and all I have to worry about is my pin float and I just let it float. And I know that the arrow is going to hit its spot um, just perfectly. How long so, did it take you to get comfortable with that? Probably about a dozen deer. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, it's it's so something I've always kind of had an interest in eventually transitioning to. I at my buddy's archery shop, I pulled one back. And it's the weird it's the weirdest thing. It just I mean, cuz I shoot a thumb release, so like everything kind of felt normal. And I was using one that had a safe on it that way I didn't punch myself in the face. You didn't very mean, like, important to do that. Very, yeah, yeah cuz I for sure will do that. I and, definitely did. Yeah. <laughs> but even once I got it back, like you would think, or at least I thought, like once I was back, I was like, all right. So once I click the safe off, you know, I just got to, just got to pull, pull, pull. Right. And it's as simple as pull, 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 but I was surprised at some of the trouble I was having, get it, getting it to fire. Cause I thought I was like, man, I'll, yeah. this thing will just like take off on me. You know what I mean? But there's like, there's a, a method to like dumping, like getting it to dump, you know, I shouldn't say getting it to dump, but to getting it to, to, to pop off. Yeah, the the key, especially with one that has a safety on it. So I hunt with the one that has a safety on it because I just feel like, just for me personally, it would be inviting disaster into a hunt to not yeah. have it, uh, have a safety on it. But you need to make sure that when you take the safety off, your hand is as vertical as possible. Like mm-hmm. your knuckles are completely vertical, mm-hmm. um, because then that rotation. If you take the safety off and your hand is already rotated, it's very hard to rotate it more. Right. Um, but I really, really like, and it's totally personal preference. Like some guys just like to feel like they're pulling and then maybe like awesome. a tension activated release is better. Right. Um, I don't like to feel like I'm pulling because I find that when I'm pulling, if I get to the point where I'm like still pulling and that shot hasn't broken, I get this. You like, start to freak out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I push and pull really hard and I push the shot like really, really badly. Yeah. Um, so with a hinge, like I know, like I can feel that my hands rotating and there's this weird, like subconscious comfort in that for me that I just like, I know it'll break. I just got to keep rotating it slowly. And then it's just like, okay, let the pin float and the pin floats and then just it, it breaks. And there were a couple times early on in that first dozen deer uh, that I shot that I the, like the shot broke when the pin was not in the right spot and it was like an oh shit moment and then i watched the deer fall over That's and crazy. it took a while to like trust that that what you're seeing in your eyes and feeling like like is is delayed and that like your subconscious knows when the shot needs to break it knows where you're aiming and if you just focus on where you want the arrow to go and just let your like body do its thing it works out that's crazy. Um, and so now I feel like any deer that is, is, I mean, not that I didn't feel that any deer was in danger around me before, but like now they're really in danger. Right. Um, like I feel like I'm just hitting inside out X's all the time. So, nice. uh, that's good. And I've been, you know, I've been, I've been working into my gear, um, bunch of prototype goodies here coming down the line. So we'll yeah. see, um, we'll see what more, you know, what more can be improved on. Uh, in the lineup, there's some stuff that's great. Um, I've been messing with uh, what I've been calling my man purse of death, 
which I think is just going to be super <laughs> awesome. Um, Man Purse of Death. I hope it keeps that name. I'm keeping. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I, this is a, a video that I'm going to drop here sometime in the next couple of weeks. I think I'm going to have it perfected. But basically, um, I've been trying to figure out an easier way to carry all the stuff to the tree. So what started bothering me in my like efficiency analness um, was I didn't like getting to the tree, taking my backpack off and like taking all the shit that I'd carried to the tree and then organizing it all myself. Right. Mm -hmm. So prior to my man purse of death, my satchel of death, I feel like Alan from, uh, <laughs> from the hangover. <laughs> Um, uh, prior a, to my satchel great death, analogy <laughs> <laughs> i'm a one-man wolf pack baby right. um so prior to this i would my system would be uh for either a one stick hunt let, let's say for a hunt where i have four sticks on my that i'm using so i'd walk into the tree i'd have my sticks on my pack i'd have my platform on my pack and i'd have all my filming gear mm -hmm. um that's just a lot of crap to have on your back uh so you get to the tree take your backpack off take your sticks put your sticks on the side of the tree take your platform i put my platform on my tailbone um then i would put my pack back on my back and then i would like climb the tree hang my platform clip in hang my camera arm hang my camera hunt um so what i'm working on now is a solution to where the backpack doesn't have to come off my back Oh, I walk sweet. up to the tree and I'm able to just start ascending the tree, regardless of if it's a one stick or four sticks or however many sticks you want to hunt with. So I think we're, we're in the final stages of that. I'm waiting for like two more parts to come in and, uh, and we're going to be there. I'm, I'm hoping I'm very mm -hmm. optimistic. So nice. Uh, hopefully, that, hopefully we're there. Nice. That, I was just going to say that uh, that would be killer because that's one of my biggest pet peeves is the same thing. It's like I have to unpack before I unpack. You know, yeah. it's like it's the same thing. I got to take all my stuff. I got to take the pack off, pull my sticks off, pull my platform off, do all the same stuff you just said, climb. And then when you get up there, then you're taking more stuff out of your pack and you're doing the same, the reverse once yeah. you get down, down. And, and it's cumbersome. It's uh, and you're kind of like at the base of the tree for a while. It takes you a while to like pack up, uh, to to unpack, to climb. You're leaving scent. Um, so we'll see how this how this works. I mean, it could fail miserably. But um, well, you man, know, if you need you never need know. another tester, dude, I'm all I'm all yours, dude. Because <laughs> I have, this, I have yeah. the same pain. Definitely gonna need lots of testing um, if this if this pans out. So it'll be cool. But um, yeah, I mean that that's worked great. You know, I've been um, running the first light Spectre stuff. So yep. Spectre, I was like, you know, it's so cool to be able to work with prototype gear, but at the same time, I'm like the most terrified person on earth because I feel like I'll be, you know, panning around on like an Instagram story and then I have to delete it because I've like accidentally shown product or like right. a new bow or something. And so I just I'm terrified to like to be the guy <laughs> who whose pictures are all over the forums. Right. Um, so, you know, but yeah, been, been being able to use the specter stuff was awesome. Um, nice. and it, it was really cool to, to be able to incorporate that into my, my, my gear kit. Um, the camo pattern works really well. Obviously staying still works better than any camo <laughs> pattern, but uh, ultimate, if, ultimate camo. <laughs> yeah. The ultimate camo is not having ADD and bouncing around the tree. Um, right. 
like a ferret on meth. But yeah, it's like <laughs> it's definitely been been nice to be able to get bailed out though when uh, when I am playing on Instagram and and you know Dozilla sees me down below. Right. Um, what a what what a what camera arm are you using? So when I'm you're, running when you're self filming. <laughs> yeah. So I've been running the fourth arrow. Talon, um, and I modified mine. So what I did was I took the, I felt like the base of the Talon was, shouldn't be vertical, right? Mm -hmm. So it it comes off at a 90 degree, um, and it kept bending in on me. So what I did was I bent the legs out on it to about a 45 degree and it works way better. Um, yeah, I sent them an email and they ignored it. So I, hopefully they're implementing that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like the 45 degree makes way more sense because it gives it like more bite mm-hmm. rather than being susceptible to getting buckled in on. Right. What camera um, are you using? So um, I actually and I run that on a on a cam over buckle like people were running um, ringing steps for a while. Yeah. I think that's like really helpful. I'm using a, a Sony AX700 camcorder. Okay. Um, I bounce back and forth between a Sony A7 III and that a- AX700. Um, the benefits of the A7 III is like that depth of field is amazing. Low light performance is amazing. Uh, battery life is pretty good. I have like an extended battery grip on the bottom of it. The negatives to it are no flippy screen, total total killer right? right um being able to flip the screen around is really worth its weight in gold well i guess it's not because the a7s3 has that capability but it's like 3500 bucks for the body and i'm just not that in need of it right um, so yeah the a700 works really well man like you can run it in manual mode slow down the shutter speed and uh, and it'll do everything you need it to. I like being able to to put it and you can put it in a mode called portrait mode where you can get like really good depth of field still, where you get this mm-hmm. like nice bokeh in the background, or just run it like a fixed, um, you know, camcorder is called an iris, but um, you know it's basically a fixed f-stop and mm-hmm. and it works great. So I've been happy with that. The battery life's amazing. I don't have to worry about having like two or three batteries with me. One battery runs the entire time. Um, I don't have to worry about, you know, swapping out lenses. It's just less clutter in my pack. So. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, then, go ahead. <laughs> sorry. The, uh, running like a GoPro or something for a second angle, uh, I think is really important to like help get B roll or just like be able to break up your shots to where it's more engaging to the viewer. Yeah. Yeah. What are, the, what are you running for your stuff? Um, I've gone back and forth like for the past couple years where it's like I would take the camera some and then I would get fed up with the setup and I would just not take it for half the season or whatever. And so last year I finally got stuff kind of ironed out to where it the camera didn't become a hindrance any longer. And so I actually was using the um, Lone Wolf Custom Gear camera arm because it's super small, fits in my pack, right? And... I actually took one of the arms off of it. So I just have two, you know, uh, I guess two extensions or whatever, as opposed to three, because I don't think you need to need to three. At least I don't feel like I need it. Um, then a Sony AX53 camcorder or, you know, uh, 4K camera. Um, and then a GoPro for a second angle. And that setup for me has been, I'll put it this way. 
it, it keeps me taking the camera out because for me, it's like, I'm not so hell bent on getting all, all the footage. Like, so if it becomes a hindrance or it becomes a pain in the ass, I just won't take it. You know, it's like, I'm going out to hunt and if the camera doesn't fit into the hunt, then it just isn't going to go, you know? And this was the first setup that I ever had to where it was like, everything felt stable. I was able to get like good footage and it also wasn't a pain in the ass to set up when I got into the tree. Nothing makes noise. Like, you know, all the different things that can go wrong when you're filming. It's like just that camera arm alone kind of felt like it stabilized everything and helped make everything else make sense. How do you like that lone wolf custom gear arm? And have you had any issues like locking it down or you just kind of tighten it, cam it over and yeah, it's, it I, it's funny. Cause I had that same thought when I was looking at it and then my buddy or Chad Sylvester had the same thought and he actually got the camera arm before me and was using it. And I asked him cause I was like, man, it feels like that thing would kick out. And he's like, he's like, man, he's like, I thought the same thing. He's like, but it just, it won't do it. He's like, it's, it's rock solid. And so I got one and was practicing with it and playing with it and stuff like that before I use it. And man, once you get it locked in, you set it back, like you set the the, the set screw all the way, you know, out essentially, right? Or backed mm-hmm. out rather. And then you kind of put it up against the tree, get it set, set your left and right, get your bubble close, right? Then you start kind of screwing it in. As you're screwing it in, you're pulling down on it, you know, pulling down on the arm to kind of give it room. You're just kind of trying to keep it, the, the bubble right. Then as you get close to getting the set screw into the tree, you just kind of make one final like little adjustment for it and then and then screw it in. And then that thing's just like rock solid. I put my camera on it and I would take it and grab it and like try to shake it. And it just it's not going anywhere. And it's That's the oddest awesome. thing because the two teeth at the bottom just like bite. And it's like, you know, I even mentioned to, you know, Zach, my buddy Zach Shermer, when we were in Missouri last year. I don't know if you know Zach or not. Um, but Zach filmed me for the tethered stuff last year in Missouri and awesome camera dude. Um, and he was running a fourth arrow arm too, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. And I kept kind of telling him like, man, you just need to get one of these little wolf custom gear arms because it'd make your setup so much lighter, you know? And he wasn't yeah. using like a huge, like a huge camera. Cause I mean, that lone wolf arm will hold up to like five, 10 pounds or whatever, whatever it is. And he was, yeah, using, I mean, if you have, 10 pounds on the tree, you need to take a bigger arm. And that's like a super professional camera setup, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, and, he, and he was using a uh, black magic six K I think is what he was using. You know, and I don't know that. I don't know what that would, I don't know what that would weigh. And he had a, he had a rig on it too, like a cage on it. So it was probably pretty close five pounds I would say, but I think that that camera arm would, would work fine with it. That's especially awesome. for anything that you're doing like for YouTube. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, some of my some of my buddies are filming hunts and they're just using like 360 cams and just going back in after and editing the footage all out and it's like they don't have to worry about anything. They're like shooting yeah. in freaking like 9K and just yeah, you know, zooming in and and it's like, man, that's a lot easier. And that's kind of one of the things I like about the um the camcorder versus the like a, a traditional like mirrorless camera is yeah. that um you know mirrorless camera has a time limit on it and so you can get to a point where like it'll like not record what you're aiming at and the last thing i want is to have like a serious encounter with a target animal that i want to document you know what i'm like the experience that i had with this critter and then have the camera have cut out by the time the shot happens you know yeah. i mean you just 
for me, when I'm in a spot and I go into a kill mode, like I'm putting the camera down, I'm pointing it at the area that the, the animals are in, and I'm like, F this thing, I'm trying to kill it. <laughs> that's, right? exact, that's exactly like, it, man. It's like, I think I know where it's going to be, and I point the camera there when I get set up. And, I, and that's the beauty of shooting in 4K is you just leave it wide angle to give yourself the largest margin of error. And then if you have time, if it comes from a completely different area, well, then sure, like move the camera and get back in a position yeah. or whatever. But like, you know, if if you have your hunt dialed in pretty well and you think you know what's going to happen, you can set it beforehand. And all you got to do is hit the record button and then you're and you're good to go. You know? Yeah. And and I'm just not trying to mess with with. I don't need another thing to potentially have me get busted in the tree, right? Like I just want to point the camera at where I think I'm going to going to shoot the animal and then let it go. So when you're setting up, I guess if you're running your tree tether at like chest height, Mm -hmm. how are you setting your tree up with your, like your pack and your camera arm? Like how are you have found to be the most? uh, So yeah, it's, um, it's funny. I did a video on that. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> it was just i was playing around with all of it um the way i said it i'm i'm right-handed of course right so my camera arm is going on my right hand side and i'm actually setting that camera arm right about like if i were to sit it would be about knee high is usually where i set it that way if i am standing and i'm leaned back i can just lean forward a little bit and grab the camera arm and i'm good to go that way i can move it from like sitting or or standing you know and so it might be just a little higher than knee high but then that's the other reason why i like that the, that custom gear arm is because it's got a pack hook underneath of it. And so I'm, I'm using my, um, you know, my daisy chain webbing, you know, that, that I'm using mm-hmm. to kind of hang all my gear, but I'm hanging my pack underneath my, underneath my camera arm. So it keeps all that out of the way and keeps like now my, what, when my, my weak side shot used to be cluttered cause my pack was usually hanging there. Now it's completely out of the way. My bow's on the left-hand side. I built like a little public land hanger out of the Kydex like Greg did. Right. I built one of those so I could slip my bow in and that's really everything that's hung in the tree. So it's like my tree is pretty clean now, like in front of me, you know, I don't really have anything hanging in my way. Everything basically stays in my pack. I get out what I need, you know, hang it in front of me, you know, off my daisy chain webbing in front of me. If I, you know, whether it's a grunt tube or whatever, binos are on my chest, camera arm to the right, pack underneath the camera arm, bow on the left-hand side, quiver on the back side of the tree with a kydex hook, you know, and that way it's not in my way of, you know, taking a shot, but yep. that's pretty much yeah, the setup. I, I think that's key. The key is to like, keep your gear out of the way for the most extreme, like places you could end up in on the tree. Cause a mm-hmm. lot of the time <laughs> I feel like deer just have this like sixth sense of knowing just how to make it the hardest possible <laughs> yeah. way for, for you to shoot them. Uh, and so like, I can't tell you how many times I've had to like get around the tree and I've had to like, move stuff out of the way because like I use your elbow and move your pack out of the way and whatever. yeah and yeah. then it's like flopping around behind you you can feel it hitting you in the back and you're like oh no um but yeah so i mean i do the same thing i have my you know i run my hiss strap um you know at, at about like top of head height so above my tether yeah um and then i have my bow like right at nine o'clock on the tree Yep. I run my pack on the back side right around like one o'clock, so where I can't get to uh, around back. And then I put my camera arm uh, pretty high, almost like right above my tether, so that I can hmm. go above the top of my tether for that, like, like my standard shot. And then if I need to rotate back, I can kind of pull it back or 
um, my tether will actually move it for me if I'm if I'm rotating around the oh, tree. Oh wow! Okay, that's so, interesting, man. I never yeah. thought of that. That's pretty I high mean, then. That's so that's like your your camera arm is like so when you're standing, where would your camera arm be at on your body? So when I so my it's right below my tether. So my tether height is like right at eyebrow level. Mm-hmm. I'm standing. The base of my camera arm is like right hmm. at like chin, chin throat level. So yeah, it, the, the, the key is you don't want to get it too high because you don't want to have to like reach up and make a, like a hand motion when right. you're going to grab it. Uh, but I can get it kind of like right here and move it. And what it does for me is it just creates like a pretty cool camera angle because it's almost like when I'm down in my saddle and I'm taking a shot, the camera is actually over the shoulder where like a camera guy would be. So uh, it kind of gives okay. like a very traditional um, like feel. Right. Uh, it's just a cool perspective to it. Um, but also I just find that's not why I do it. I just do it because it, it it's the most efficient way that I've found for it to be. Right. Um, sometimes I, I tried putting it on the left side of the tether, but like I need that space when I go around. Yeah. the tree uh so putting it kind of back over at the like four o'clock position and having the ability to go over but then pull it back and, it, and it's not in the way is has ended up the best of both worlds for me yeah i think when uh, i put it low I'm, I'm hanging it right around like four to five o'clock roughly yeah. but I'm, that's interesting. Well, your tether your tether's so short that you don't have an issue going under it if you need to right uh, right the for other... me you have a steep angle there like right. I was, my angle was, was more, uh, vertical to where if I needed to go under it, I kind of had to like push back and I just could see that being potentially problematic at some point, uh, of a hunt. Right. That's interesting though, man. I might have to give that a, give that a try. That also probably works out pretty well. Cause what you were saying earlier, you, you like to sit to shoot. You like to use that your hip up against the tree. And I would say like almost always I'm standing to shoot. Like I just, yeah, I stand to shoot, which might make it a little harder for like my cams clearing that potentially. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a major issue. I would, uh, I like to drop, I always drop a knee into the tree when I'm shooting. Okay. So, so if I'm working, you know, around the tree this way, I'll drop my knee, I'll drop my, my, uh, my left knee into the tree and I'll start pushing around to kind of create separation. But what I find is it allows you to put all of your weight into your saddle mm, mm-hmm. and so now my feet are only there to guide me around the tree and it's like a very controlled pivot mm-hmm. and so what that allows me to do is like if i'm mid pivot i'm never at the mercy of gravity just swinging like right. uncontrolled and so i'm able to like slowly control the speed at which i'm i'm coming around the tree so if there are you know if there are three or four deer there and I'm trying to shoot, you know, a certain one, I don't have to worry about getting picked by all of them because I'm slowly moving, you know, bow ready and then drawing and, and shooting. Right. Um, or sometimes full draw before and, and whatever the situation dictates. But right. um, I like having that ability to maneuver around on the platform and use my feet strictly for placement. Right. And if you need to keep rotating, you know, it's very easy to roll from from knee in the tree into like hip on the tree and then like even pushing off. Come back around the backside. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's and so sweet, man. And you're swinging with your arm the entire time to where you're constantly like ready to shoot. Like you're never once not in a position where you can't shoot. Whereas if you're going over the bridge, there's potentially a spot where it's like, oh shit, it's looking at me, you know, and you're kind of frozen in time there. And and maybe if you're doing that, sometimes you're relying too much on your muscles to like hold you in that position. Yeah. In that waiting game that everybody's been caught in, and you, and you get that feeling of like, how could that deer possibly still be looking at me? <laughs> yeah. you know? Exactly. Um, Man, that would have saved my ass last year because, you know, I'll use my knee if I'm shooting, you know, 12 to 1 o'clock and I can shoot from the front side of the tree to keep my strong side shot to where I'm not having to shoot weak side or whatever. I'll use my knee. I think that's the only time I've ever used my knee is I shot a doe at like one o'clock and I was able to slip around the front side of the tree cause she was behind some brush. So it's, it was easy for me to slip around, use my knee and shoot her, you know, a, across the front side of the tree. Last year I, I blew an opportunity on one of my shooters on like the freaking, I guess it was like the week of Thanksgiving or something like that. It was like the last week of rut here in, in PA. And it was like three different shooters I'd been watching for a course of time. And I got back from like the out of state hunt and you know, PA we were allowed to shoot. We were allowed to hunt that that last week of, of rut or like the week that we usually don't get the hunt between gun season and bow season. And, uh, or at least in my area I could. And, uh, I went out and like seven thirty, zombie walked in and I just, I saw him, I saw a deer and I thought it was a doe. I didn't pick up my bow. It was going back to like what we were talking about earlier of burnout. I just got back from a two week, 14, 15 yeah. day trip hunting every day, all day long. And I was just fried. And when I saw the deer, I was like, I had a cell camera nearby and I knew there was a bunch of does hitting this one script. I just thought it was going to be another doe. Right. And I was like, Oh, it's probably a doe. And I'm sitting there and watching it. And I saw some antlers or not antlers. I saw like what I knew was bone of some sort, but there was also like a young, like forky that had been hitting that scrape pretty frequently too with those does. So I was like, I convinced myself that it was a doe or that, or that buck. And he popped his head out of the brush and it was sure as shit. One of the three shooters I'd been kind of watching and wanting to kill and mm. once he crossed that brush, there wasn't anything between me and him except like air and opportunity at that point. And he was at like 20 yards, you know, and yeah. I got real still and grabbed my bow. I wanted to get up over my bridge when the reality was I should have just sat down and pivoted super slow because he never looked up at me until he got directly behind me at five yards. And if oh. I would have if I would have done that, I probably would have had time to get like get a quick shot off. Um, yep. But I just brain froze i didn't think about it and he ended up smelling me at that point and he was and he was gone and that was it it's easy to do man especially at like five yards where you're just like you're like what do i do what do i do like <laughs> yeah what's happening like yeah. and then you're like oh don't screw this up don't screw this up <laughs> <laughs> famous last words sure someone who screws this up <laughs> yeah but Funny how that works yeah, yeah exactly. and it's just you know uh I, I've done the same thing though, where you're like, ah, it's just a, you know, just a dink buck or whatever. And then like, by the time the deer's on you, you're like, shit, I should have grabbed my bow. Like I, I want to shoot that thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so when yeah. in doubt, I just grab my bow, but I'm also, I, I'm not too picky about what I'm putting in the, in the freezer. So <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, uh, it's, it's, it's last year was a crazy year, man. Cause it's like, it was, I had, um, I, I ate three tags in three states, but I had a chance to kill a, a good deer in every state. Like I hit one in Missouri and lost it, which sucked, 
you know, that was awful. Um, the last day in Ohio, I had a, I had a shooter come by, but I thought I was going to come back the week after Thanksgiving. So I let it, I, I passed him and my wife's whole family got COVID. And so we never made it back for Thanksgiving. So I ate oh, that tag. No. I should have filled that one. And then I screwed that hunt up the week before Thanksgiving in Pennsylvania on one of the shooters. It's like I had all, like all three of them should have been filled last year. I should have went three for three, but I just, I, I managed to screw all of them up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's part of the fun in that's hunting it, though. Right. I mean, um, I had a pretty unsuccessful year last year when it comes to like putting bone on the ground. I, uh, we filmed a, a series for first light that will be dropping here probably in like September, October, mm-hmm. uh, where we were traveling around the country, like showing off how the camo, the new specter worked. Right. Um, so we started in September in Kentucky and it was like a hundred degrees every day. We're hunting this, uh, this place that we got access to by knocking on doors. Like we weren't, the, the whole key was like, we're not going to do the traditional go to these outfitters and just like smash giants, you know, like right. that's not relatable. Um, so we went and we got permission on all these spots ourselves. We hunted this guy's like 400 acre farm, had a bunch of soybeans and it had good deer in it. Um, and I came home after that hunt. Like I, I didn't get a chance at the deer I wanted. Um, you'll have to watch to see what happened at the, episode but i um i came home and i like i played a golf tournament with one of my buddies and the next morning the day after the three-day tournament i just felt terrible uh i walked my daughter to school and i came home and i laid down on the couch and i was like i'm dying my wife was like you are such a a, a pee you know like <laughs> get up you're such a baby you're just hung over because you can't drink and party like that anymore and i'm like no, I don't feel good. I, I felt like I'd been beaten with a baseball bat from like head to toe. Right. And uh, my muscles ached. I took my temperature. It was like 104. Jeez. And I'm like, well, that's not good. Right. right. Um, and so I kept going to the doctors. They kept telling me they thought I had COVID, even though my COVID tests were coming back negative because I just, I was super achy, like head mm-hmm. to toe. Um, and I, I had a fever that wouldn't break. And then finally, like I kept telling them, like, look, I was in Kentucky I was covered in ticks. We were, we were like camping at these, uh, at this hunt. And finally it came back that my Rocky mountain spotted fever count was like off the chart high. Like the doctor was like, dude, this is so high. Um, and I'm like, I told you, I don't feel good, man. Like it's not like my body hurts. I have this fever that won't go away. I'm like aimlessly wandering around my house. Um, and of course, uh, you know, to make matters worse, my wife was convinced it was COVID. So I'm like quarantined in the basement. I have two young kids. I'm trying not to get sick. And it was just a, a nightmare. Um, but it turned out that I had Rocky Mountain spotted fever, which thankfully isn't Lyme's disease and it goes away. Um, but it was like the worst, yeah. like two to three weeks of my life. Um, and so I went from that hunt. I missed a hunt in uh, Wisconsin that I was like really excited about. Uh, with like Jeff Sturgis and some buddies oh, up there. Yeah. Um, cause I was just so sick and we didn't know what was going on. And then, so I went up to our place in Ohio, uh, my lease that I have with my buddy Billy. And I was like, jacked. We had four deer over 150 on camera, like all the time. And, um, 
you know, I just was like super aggressive, bounced around everywhere. And finally on the last day I saw this deer that we, we call grandpa. That's like 180 inch typical. That is just absolutely amazing. And I had him at like 70 yards through brush and just couldn't get a shot at him. But it was super cool to see a deer like that in person. Uh, For sure. Gross boomer, but also didn't kill anything um, in a, in a week long hunt there. And then I went, um, God, where else did I go? I think Missouri. Um, and then came back here. And of course, like while I was on all these trips, I'm getting cell phone pictures of, of like deer that I want to shoot here moving around. So I just felt like I, I kind of like strayed too far and was too spread thin and just wasn't able to like stick to my game plan and, um, just was not successful on any, any wall hangers, which is probably for the better because, uh, I went to Africa like three years ago and uh, I got all my taxidermy back this year. I took two trips from the taxidermist of like, oh, full geez. so my <laughs> wife was just like, no more heads in the basement. And I was no like, more heads. Okay. Wink, yeah, wink. Sure. wink. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Until I shoot one bigger than the other ones on the wall. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's how that works, man. But, but yeah. you know, and, and, and so I guess from like a um, perspective of like, just notching tags. I had a very unsuccessful year, but it's always fun for me to like, I'm trying to always learn. And so mm-hmm. like, it's probably more successful for me to not have had, you know, harvest. Um, because again, I'm super analytical and the best thing I can do in my six hours from Ohio back here is to like, think through, uh, how I screwed that up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like where I should have been yeah. and, and like, it's so easy to to try and bounce around though in ohio i mean i have like 500 acres there that are untouched and you know i got food plots on them and we put a ton of work in and they're just deer everywhere and you're just like you know you're just trying to like make it happen instead of like just realizing that hey look like these deer are there for a reason they're going to be bedded in the same spot whatever like you don't overthink it Get in a pinch point and sit. It's the rut. They're looking for right. love. And right. there are a lot of hills here. There are only a handful of places uh, these guys can go. Right? right. But yeah. So it's just been fun, um, you know, using all these different things. You know, something else that um, that that I started using about a year ago that uh, we're talking about gear that really changed the way I hunt hunted. And I didn't think it would be that big of an influence until I started using it. Have you heard of Spartan Forge at all or used any of their Yeah, man. Their yeah. Product? I've had I've had Bill on. Bill, a uh, super good dude. Um, you know, I think it was right after he was on with Garrett, uh, yep. whatever it was, a year ago or something like that. I had him on and we talked about it. And I'm a little bit of like a nerd in that way because I work in like that's what I I don't do what he does for a living, but I, I'm, I guess, a digital strategist. So I play in the digital space a lot, you know. And so anytime there's gear, that I can use that is digital in nature to help me kind of understand better or remove clutter and paint clearer pictures for me. I'm super into, you know, and so I'm super stoked with what he's got coming out, what he's got coming out next for sure. Yeah. There, there's some really cool stuff coming down the pipeline that, that I was fortunate enough to play with. And, um, it really was eye opening to me. So like there were a lot of times that, you know, here where I hunt, I can drive around and see a lot of deer. Like they're pretty visible. Right. Um, and so 
when I've had these discussions in the past with people where, you know, like people say, do you think barometric pressure affects the deer? Do you think the moon affects the deer or whatever? I'm like, look, I don't know what affects the deer, but I know that there's some biological switch that gets flipped based on a combination of, of things that where there are times that I can drive around at two o'clock in the afternoon and I can see 300 deer in a 10 mile loop. Right. right? Yeah. And there are other times that I can drive around like the day after or like something that I think are the same conditions a week later, whatever it is at the same time and see no deer. Right. So yeah. there's some, there, these are different pockets of deer. They're not just one family group that a dog kicked up or something. There's something that's happening that's causing deer to get on their feet. And so uh, when I met Bill and talked with him, I was just really selfishly excited to have access to this stuff to, to try and figure out what it is that was making the deer tick. And then uh, as I got to know Bill, you know, awesome dude, genius guy. And yeah. I love just the, the analytical way that he's gone about, you know, um, getting this data putting it in a in a machine to figure out and like create the uh the ai that goes around like this neural network of of figuring out why deer are moving and what correlatory patterns there are specific to your area yeah because what makes a deer move in my neighborhood is not what's making a deer move in lila koski's property right. right i remember when we were when he and i were chatting um you know, the one thing that he made mention of that, you know, that I thought helped kind of crystallize that point that they aren't, uh, yes, they are all the same species, right? But they're not, they don't react to the same things to the same degree in every section of the, of the whitetail range, so to speak. And the really great example that he used was that I think, I hope I don't get the inverse, right? But like, even if the inverse, it's, if it's the other way, it still applies. It's just, you know, it's an anecdote. Um, Deer, it's just saying the north, right? A lot of times you'll hear people say like, hey, whenever you get like some precip or whatever, you know, it's going to like deer are going to are going to move. Right. And I think it was like somewhat marginally, marginally true, you know, um, in, in, in the in the north, depending on like the severity of like the, the precipitation or whatever. But there really wasn't a big difference when you got to the south, if I'm remembering correctly, like with precip with precip versus not. And if you think about it, it stands the logic that like the humidity down there is significant and them moving or not moving, whether it's raining or not, is not really going to be driven by whether or not it's raining because we all know that, you know, water moisture helps deer smell better, right? Same with the bloodhound. They always want like, they want to track in, in like the dew if they're trying to blood track a deer, right? Cause they want that little bit of moisture to help the dog smell. Same thing for a deer. And so, that precip isn't really as important in the South because they're constantly getting like a dose of that moisture through just the humidity of the air. And so as opposed to tracking moisture there, I think you look at more humidity range and you start to correlate some deer movement to humidity range versus precipitation per se. And I just thought that, that was really interesting, like to kind of draw the differences between like how they react to precip here. You would never think about humidity necessarily in Pennsylvania or, or DC or whatever. You would think more, Oh man, I got a, a really light rain coming in tomorrow morning. Like, and it's, you know, October 28th, like I'm in the woods, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm going to get just Absolutely. a little bit of rain. Like that's yep. perfect, you know, but there it would be, I'm getting a little bit of rain. It's, it doesn't mean anything. It's no different than, than yesterday, you know, unless you're getting a significant amount, you know? And I just thought that, that was interesting. And that's the type of stuff he's able to kind of help decipher, you know, it, 
I think it dispels a lot of uh, um, old wives' tales around hunting, you know what I mean, to a degree. So where it's like you can kind of start to parse out like the reality from what, you know, has been passed around camp for 50 years you know oh absolutely and then yeah. and then put stakes in the ground around things that are have 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 merit to them and starts to starts to add some structure to it as to how why and when you know what i mean because it's that's the important thing it's like if we know something happens that's great but like the important thing that he does is narrows it down to like well this is when you know it's the it, like this is when you want to act on that piece of data right and that's the part that i think is is really exciting yeah, and, and it's so cool how it's like, you know, I think we've been conditioned as hunters to want to know, like, at what time tomorrow are deer going to move, right? right? And you want it to be like, okay, 3.30 tomorrow afternoon is when you want to be in the woods. But in reality, it's like, well, based on the the last 10 days of, of weather, like, you know, the next three days are going to be really poor for hunting because the deer are just going to be bedded down you know, not up on their feet as much, or it's like the next three days are going to be absolute gangbusters. You need to be in the woods whenever you can in the next three days, right? right. Because that's what the data shows, but there's, there's no bullshitting data, yes, right? Like, correct. Like, like numbers and, and, and statistics and like actual factual evidence does not lie. And the amount of evidence that he has compiled is like, it Mountains. was like 18, yeah, it's, it's like it's mountains or like whatever. It, it's like you're not going to cap- capture that that stuff, and it's specific to your local area. And to your point, yeah. I was blown away, and also not because I'm like, thank goodness, like this makes way more sense than everything I've read my entire life. Where like some guy on his farm in Iowa, what he's writing in this book like doesn't pertain to the deer that I'm hunting in in you know, the mid Atlantic region or the deer that you're hunting or whatever. I mean, like deer are, are, yeah, they're the same species, but they're, they're different in these little pockets. And so, uh, there were, there were times where like, I'd be driving around, I'd see a lot of deer and I'd like pull up the, the, you know, Spartan forage tech and I'd look at it and I'm like, okay, it's, it's accurate. I'm like, I can trust this more. And then, you know, it happened again and again. And then I started like, you know, planning my week out so we were talking earlier about how i kind of balance my like work life balance so i yeah. i try to communicate as much as possible with my wife which she would tell you i do a terrible job at anyways <laughs> uh, she's probably accurate I, i'm like the biggest scatterbrain when it comes to responsibilities and stuff but um you know i'll, I'll on sunday i'll be like okay well here are the days i'd like to hunt i want to hunt like tuesday morning thursday morning whatever and so when i was planning out my my schedule, I started looking at the Spartan Forge stuff and, and I'd be looking at the weather and where I would normally pick a Tuesday, uh, the Spartan Forge tech would be like, okay, hunt Thursday, Friday and be like, okay, well, like, what do I have to lose? Right. Right. And so I'll try it. And I mean, gosh, I, I'll be damned if it wasn't right. I mean, you know, 75, 80% of the time. I mean, it was just, I was seeing more deer and then to the point where I started trusting it and like, and then like going to those locations and um, it was spot on, man. So yeah. I, I think that that has made a huge difference. And, um, and I think that, you know, coming very soon, hint, hint, wink, wink, right. uh, there will be something that's even more 
uh, groundbreaking. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've caught a sneak peek in, in talking to him the past couple couple weeks, and it's it's yeah, it's going to be super cool for everyone yeah. out there listening. Like you're going to want to keep your eyes peeled for when this when this thing comes about. I had a similar experience as, as you, where um, it, we were talking. I guess it was late like November ish. Maybe it was like, maybe it was like end of October where we first kind of started talking and I was going on my hunt and we were like, let's connect when I get back or whatever the case was. And I was using, you know, what, what was commercially available at, at, at that, at that moment, um, just as like a kind of checking things out, you know what I mean? Just kind of, you know, seeing how things worked and just playing around with it. And when he and I spoke like whatever the next time it was just for conversation's sake, I was looking at that and was kind of, I had just got back from my trips and I was trying to plan. I actually think it might've been when I screwed the pooch on that, that deer, but I was looking to see like, all right, when are I, when are my second rut, rut dates coming in? You know what I mean? I was like, I want to know from my area what my second rut date is essentially. Cause I'm just curious and I want to try to kill one of these deer. Right. And I looked at whatever the second secondary rut date was. And, uh, and I had a cell camera in an area and it, it went quiet. Right. And it was in like near a bedding area, primary street near a bedding area. And, uh, I'll be damned if like it didn't crank back up like two days before the date that he had that before the, the date that Spartan forge kind of told me that that would be the secondary rut date, which means that doe was starting to prime, which means she was yep. probably two days out. And then sure enough, two days later, bucks on camera, you know what I mean? It was just, I had that, that epiphany moment where I was like, Okay, because I know, you know, he and I talked about this too. It's like I've I've played around and checked out free versions of other app before, like it went like the freemium version before you had to pay from some folks that made one that live in live in Iowa and stuff like that. And like they just the shit just never worked because it was anecdotal evidence. You know what I mean? It was like what their yeah. experience were, and they're great hunters and they know their shit about hunting and they know their farms and take nothing away from their ability to, to kill big deer and stuff like that. But it was anecdotal. It's the things that they've seen and learned, and they have a mountain of experience. But it's hard to translate mountain of personal experience into ap- applicable, you know, intel for someone to take to use anywhere else, right? It just yeah, doesn't well, exactly. And what Bill's done is instead of taking like observational data that right. that these people that have made another app uh, put out there, you know, he's taken like actual longitudinal data. data for a ton of years across the entire whitetail range from yeah, a multitude of data points. Like, and that's the thing. It's like, it wasn't just like, Oh, we're going to talk to the research biologists. No, it was university right. research biologists. It was also insurance company, like, you know, car deer interaction data. Like it's all this stuff as an aggregate and it's longitudinal. So it's like, you know, years worth of time that you're looking at this to where it's like when you start to see trends in that much data, you'll have some, you'll have some outliers here and there, but man, the bulk of the data is going to react in a certain way, like over and over and Absolutely. over again, when you have that much of Absolutely. it, you know? Yeah. It, and and it, it's just, I think that's just so cool. And I think it's really kind of like the next evolution of, um, of hunting. And, and I'm excited to see kind of where this goes over our next, you know, five to 10 years. Cause, yeah. uh, it, it really helps the guy that, that isn't me. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I can hunt enough that I'm going to stumble into deer. Right? right. Yeah. But you know, for the guy that, that 
that lives to hunt and can only hunt, you know, one day a week if they're lucky or, or can only hunt on Saturday. I mean, when I first got or out when of to college, take your out of state vacation, like your, your road time, like look at the Saturday. dates and know when you're going to have the best opportunity. Like historically, if you're exactly. going to go hunt the rut, you're, you're banking on, you're banking on unknown movement of a deer through an area of which you plan to be <laughs> yeah. right. Like, you know, they're going to move. You don't know which one it's going to be. And so if you're doing that, you can better take the chance of saying like, all right, if I'm going to take a week or four days or whatever it is, this four day window is when they're going to be moving in daylight. Most often, historically speaking for this area, right? It's like you've all, you, you now gave yourself a better chance to have a great four days where you might've just threw a dart at a dartboard, picked some dates yeah. and, and went. And at the end of the day, like what you're doing is you need to stack as as many odds in your favor as possible, Agreed. right? Yep. So like, yeah. Even if you're Andy May, you don't want to be there. <laughs> that guy doesn't long. need any help. <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah, I want to see Andy go hunt somewhere during lockdown instead of the during the rut. But yeah, yeah it's like exactly. You know, it, it it's easier to, um, you know, to increase your odds when the deer are zombie moding around all day as opposed to you know, laying in their kingdom with a bunch of ladies laying around like jab of the hut. Right. I right. mean, um, so it, yeah. it's good to have the evidence and it's good to have the numbers. And, and that was a really cool, uh, little piece of gear that I started using last year and, and was really, really pumped with. Nice. Well, man, we've been on here for almost two hours, brother. I should probably let you get going so you can get back to your uh, your husbandry duties. I don't want to. I don't want to be the reason why why uh, you turn up in the missing in the in the missing section on a milk carton. Trust somewhere. me, it will not be because of you. <laughs> it's not you. It's me. <laughs> right. Before I let you get going, man, uh, if you wouldn't mind, let uh, let folks know where they can find out more about what you've got going on. You know where they can watch. You know any of the videos that you have coming out and just follow along with your your hunting hunting antics. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I put a bunch of content out on YouTube under uh, Hunt Urban, so check that out. Uh, you can follow me on, on Instagram under Urban Bowman, and, uh, you know, feel free to check out the uh, the Hang and Hunt podcast as well with my buddy Billy, where we tend to go off the rails more than we stay on them. I know. I wanted, <laughs> to, get, I wanted to get to that, but we just dove straight into gear and like two hours later, so I think what's appropriate is I think we need to have another session in the, in the very near future in touch on absolutely that. yeah we'll have to get billy back from the beach uh, i was talking to him earlier um he, he's been out uh, drinking and fishing all day so hopefully he makes it back in one piece <laughs> there'll be some stories that is, is, yeah. is my guess you know there's never uh there's never a dull moment with billy around so uh, <laughs> i'm sure there will be a couple episodes worth of stories that that he can share and probably some more that he, he can't share he can't, so right we'll see <laughs> well on that note brother i'll let you get going thanks for coming on man i appreciate it Hey, thanks for having me, buddy. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there, too. I'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skullbrew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all.
All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.